And God, I pray as now we dive into your word that you would be here in your word. This is all about you. We pray the spirit of God would do a work through the word of God in our lives. Oh Lord, we start out the year, eyes wondering what's ahead, and you know, you know. I pray we would draw closer to you in significant ways this morning as a result of this text. All for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. We'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We're just going to dive in, go at it. Sorry you've had so much of me today. Uh, you won't have any of me next Sunday as Brock is going to be teaching. Love, looking forward to that. Uh, Mark chapter 11, page 847 in the Bibles, uh, on the, in the book holders behind the seats there if you need one of those. Last Sunday, we were in Mark chapter 11, and it was the triumphal entry. Um, it was a deity on a donkey, and we think that sounds kind of dorky, a deity on a donkey, but we don't understand what was really going on with that. A donkey was how a king, how a victorious general would enter. And uh, Jesus is riding on it. He enters the city of Jerusalem. Remember this. Remember Jerusalem I mentioned last Sunday. Jerusalem is kind of the heartbeat of all of God's people, Israel. It's like what happens in Jerusalem gives a pulse of what's really going on with the nation. And, and God sees it there. It's a gauge of his people. And here Jesus enters into it as this victorious general king. And there are thousands, I talked last Sunday, I actually think there's tens of thousands, if not a hundred to two hundred thousand people that were a part of this triumphal entry. And there they are declaring and singing out or saying out, Hosanna, which means save now, save now. And yet in it all, as wonderful as it is, uh, we talked to the sadness of it really is, is that the people were really calling out for uh, do for me. Do for me. It was really very much quite a self-centered kind of a thing. Bless their hearts. They didn't know everything yet, uh, but the Lord was on the way to the cross. It was more of a, of a cry out for me, myself, and I. It was that kind of a call. It was kind of the spare us from the pain of the Romans. Uh, let us be in control of all things. So that our economic situation, our financial situation, and, and our, our earthly setting would be a lot better that way. It really was quite a self-centered call out. It was a rescue me for me. It really wasn't a rescue us. We place ourselves at your feet for you to totally transform us into whatever you want us to be. It was not that kind of Hosanna cry. Uh, that's coming as time moves along. Uh, the Lord's on his way to the cross. But I will say in the back of our minds with this last Sunday and this Sunday, the text again that just keeps coming into my mind is Matthew 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. Because their call outs, their shout outs, their, their, their reality before the Lord was, as we're going to see in the text, was a leaf only reality going on. It was a Hosanna, save me for me. It wasn't a rescue from my sin and transform me into something completely new and different for your glory. But the Lord is patient. He's on his way to the cross. And I'd ask you this week to consider as a result of last Sunday, seriously, where are you with the Lord? 
Where are you? Today's really not going to be much different. It's going to be a pressing in passage. I'll just tell you, we are in a huge, intense time. Last Sunday was Monday before the cross. Today, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday and the cross is coming on Friday. Please understand that. Keep that in mind. Jesus has set in motion his own crucifixion. He has made a bold entrance. He has forced the hands of the leadership. They have to crucify him now. They really do. You see, because Jesus doesn't let anyone take his life, he gives it up. And the triumphal entry is a huge, beautiful statement of the second person of the Trinity coming in, forcing the hand, you are going to put me on the cross because I have come to pay the redemption price for sin. Oh, so very cool. And we ended at verse 11. Let's read it. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. This is Monday night after the triumphal entry. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. We talked about that. And just real quick, it's like he goes in after the triumphal entry and he just takes a look around at the whole scene of the temple. We don't see him coming to a conclusion. We don't see him saying a word. We just, it's like he came in and he just took it all in and then he left. I I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder what he was thinking. Guess what? We're going to find out right now. Let's read the text. Verse 12. On the following day, so what day is it then? It's Tuesday. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, by the way, look up on the screen, you can see Bethany. Uh, it's, it's kind of the suburbs we talked about. Bethany and, and Bethphage are like Avon, Brownsburg, Avon, Plainfield of Indianapolis. Uh, they, were, they were coming back. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, uh, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, He went to see it if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, now does this not sound like a hissy fit? Uh, Really, you read that and it's like, dude, you just had a temper tantrum, didn't you? I've seen my kid do that before. I've seen my husband do that before. I'm hungry. Uh, listen, no, that's not what's happening here, okay? This is a living object lesson. Uh, uh, Parables are stories that teach truth. This is a living parable. Uh, You know, sometimes if you're a teacher, you know, like with students, sometimes you'll teach things, and then other times you have like these living object lessons. You're doing the same thing, but you're using something, and like, here it is, see kids, here's what it is, and you're, I think that's clearly what Jesus is doing here. Uh, Jesus did not have a hissy fit. This is an object lesson, and this is an object lesson of what the Lord thinks about claiming, about people claiming to be one thing, but are actually something different. And friends, I realize right now you're like, dude, where did you get that from? Hang with me here. Okay, because I think we're going to see this whole mark is put together along with what happens next in the temple. It's all really important. Here's what's going on. Jesus is condemning a fig tree. That's what we see here in this uh, living object lesson. But it's like, uh, that sounds so immature. 
but we have to note this. The Old Testament often refers to Israel with the image of a fig tree, okay? And so in it, I can even give you some of the passages for that um, in referring to it. Um, Jeremiah 8, Jeremiah 29, Hosea 9, Joel 1, Micah 7. Oftentimes, uh, the Old Testament prophets use a fig tree as an, as an illustration of Israel. So take that understanding to this. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is seeing a fig tree, Israel, that has leaves on it and no fruit. And it's like he's using the scenario of I'm hungry and he goes over to get some food like the Lord's like, I want some figs. And he comes over to the tree and he spreads the leaves, living object lesson. He spreads the leaves and he looks beyond the leaves and it's like, where's the fruit? What's going on here? Uh, just as a, I'm not going to get into it real quick, but the text also says in it, and some people argue about in the commentaries and so forth, but it says in there, it's not the season for figs. I think this is actually Mark, an accent statement to the whole thing. It's like this is Israel is not even in a season of producing fruit. It's not just like this happened to be a day where there's no fruit. This has been a people of seasoned of unfruitedness. And by the way, do you see how Jesus thinks about that scenario? All leaves, no fruit. He condemns it. He curses it. That's what goes on here. When the Lord sees the situation of leaves promising one thing, but when you look beyond the leaves, there's no fruit. He's not happy about that. He's like, what's the deal with this? Cursed are you. That's what's really happening. All leaves no substance. An outward appearance of spirituality and devotion to God. But there's really no fruit. There's really no fruit. It's Jesus and a leaves-only fig tree, and he condemns it. He curses it. Friends, do you see the correlation? By the way, I could just sum that whole thing up saying this. You cannot punk Jesus. You cannot punk him. You can have the leaves, you can look the look, and you can fake anyone out, but you cannot punk the Lord. He knows whether there's fruit or not. And the issue is not about what someone else thinks. I'm just going to tell you this today because I might get irritate you a little bit here in just a minute and pressing into you. It's not about what I think. It's not about my judgment. That's irrelevant. You're not going to stand before me. You're not going to stand before anyone else. But do know this. You are, we are going to stand before the Lord. And we can't punk him. And the games will be done. And he will see it as it really is. 
And so I just call us right now with, this is the intro to what's about to happen. This is serious stuff. And you and I, we cannot punk the Lord, and we are far too often easy on ourselves. Let's keep moving. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem. It's Tuesday. They had the tree incident. Uh, They come to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the what? The temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Some of your translations will say doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. <laughs> Let's pause there. This is an awesome scene. Uh, I mean, this is like a guy's kind of a scene, a chaos scene. And we need to understand the temple. So so here's the temple. Uh, Jesus is walking into this. But let's go to the next slide because there's uh, there's an area here, this bluish area here. This is called the court of the Gentiles. This is like the outer court. We'll be talking as we move through this series. You'll be learning more about the inside area. But this is the outside court of the Gentiles area. Uh, this is where uh, we believe that all of this is taking place. It's a huge area huge compound, flat area. And this is where all of this event is happening here. And and we get this idea. Jesus then enters that area and he begins to drive out. By the way, Mark gives us no sense that he's like, he all of a sudden learned something that morning or something happened that ticked him off. I mean, it's like he walked in purpose to drive out. Why? Do you remember verse 11? Because the night before, he had walked into the temple and done the walk around. We don't see anything of what he thinks. We don't think of, see anything in the text of what he understands, what he grabs. We just know this. That evening, later in the day, after the triumphal, he, triumphal entry, he walks into the temple grounds, and then that night when it's later, he leaves. He left, and then he came, fig tree incident, and he walked in, and he knew exactly what he was going to do. Do you see the purpose in this? Do you see the strategy in this? Do you see the, 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 the understanding? I think the night before he walks in and he just clarifies the whole scene and then he comes in and it's like, I've got a mission to do in the temple. And he comes in and he drives out. It's just like, bam. And by the way, it's not cleansing of the temple. This is a condemnation of the temple and what's happening in the temple area. Uh, in it, the word drive out. The word drive out in, in the original language was often used at times when it's talking about casting out or driving out demons. Listen, that's not a sissy pants thing. It carries the idea of something of authority coming in and out kind of a thing. I have authority. I am authority. And in this, I can cause something great to happen. And he comes in with the strength and authority. And by the way, it's so interesting in the text, we don't find anyone like trying to tackle him down. In fact, he's running around saying, you can't even take that stuff. He's turning tables. Birds are flying. Animals all over this court of the Gentiles area. And Jesus is even stopping people from grabbing their, their money box and running out. He's like all over this place. This is chaos on purpose. This is a mess that is being addressed. And Jesus is basically saying, not in my house. Not in my house. 
There is no leaves-only fruitless relationship going on in my house. You may want to play that game, but I don't play that game. There is no leaves-only fruitless relationship with me. Oh, man. Verse 17. And he was teaching them. (laughs) Now, don't you right there, don't you all of a sudden think like everything stopped and he was like, okay, everybody, let's not talk. No, 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 that's not what's going on. While all this is happening, he's, he's teaching and he's saying to them, Is it not written, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer? Uh, this is a cool statement. For all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. There's a few things in here, both for teachers, for uh, uh, mentors, I would even say for parents in here. Notice in his condemnation, in his discipline he teaches... Parents, there's always to be teaching in our discipline. Always. Otherwise, you exasperate, Ephesians 6, your child. And Jesus here is teaching. By the way, do you know what he also does? He says, is it not written? In his teaching, he's taking people back to God's word. He is the word. And yet we see again, over and over and over, Jesus takes people back back to the written word. And he's setting a perfect example for us. Listen, we go back to the word. That's where it is. The sufficient word of God has power. Is it not written? Oh, by the way, he also starts one more time. We've talked about this again and again and again with a question. This is, this questions draw to heart. He's not just running in there and going, you all are bums. I hate you. That's not what's going on. He's going in there and he's making chaos. And yet in it, he's teaching and he's drawing out their heart. He's just not condemning them. He's trying to get their attention. It's like, don't you see what's happening here with you all? One commentator says, God's temple is to be a house of prayer, a place of worship that attracts and blesses all the nations. It's not a shrine to be admired and praised. It is to exhibit no geographical, national, racial, or ethnic segregation or discrimination. John Piper says, Jesus is the end of ethnocentrism, globally and locally. There is no color, but only faith in Christ as the mark of the kingdom. That's what it's about. It's not because I grew up in a Christian family. It's not because I'm a Jew. It's not because of I'm this. It's not because of any of that. It's because of only faith in Christ. That's the foundation of it all. And instead of God's people bringing people into God's presence, they obscured people and held people out from coming into God's presence. And by the way, I just have to say a a note to us homies here. May that never be the case here. All are welcome in here. Color, status, situation. This is not a haven for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And I am one of them. And that's what this place is about. This is not the temple. But this is a place where we gather. This is about the nations. And Jesus is like, enough. The charades are over. Wow. Verse 18. Some people aren't happy. 
Go figure. And the chief priests and the scribes, wouldn't you think those would be the kind of people who would be like, that's right, tell them. We've been trying to tell them this for a long time. Right? Wouldn't you think that was the spiritual leaders of the day? Shouldn't they be the ones that are like, boom, this is what we've been trying to teach our people? Oh, friends, watch. This is so sad. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy Jesus. We've already known that for a while. This next statement, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So who are these guys really about? Verse 19, and when evening came, they went out of the city. Some important background information, understanding this right here. The whole scene at the temple is happening during Passover. This is the most active time of the year. It's active beyond active. It's over-the-top activity with what's going on. And yet within it all, there is a massive scheme of corruption. I mean, it's literally like a mafia structure on what's happening here. Let me tell you why I say that. And by the way, it's all led by the high priest on us. All led by the guy that you think should be the least one who should be a part of all this. He's the head of it. The courtyard outside the main temple was called the court of Gentiles, as we talked about. That's the way it was kind of originally structured in there. And yet in it, what ended up happening was this area at this time was called uh, the Bazaar of Annas. It was his now. And it was bizarre (laughs) with what was going on in the time. Why do I say that? Uh, Because merchants had to buy franchise rights to be able to set their booth up. Hey, I used to be in business, used to be in marketing, traveled around the country and go to trade shows. You guys, you know, guys and gals, you know what I'm talking about when you've been to that. You know the whole movement chart on people. I don't know if you know that. There's a whole how people move in in, in in an auditorium or in a a booth setup. And I knew that whole strategy. And so you try and buy booths in certain spots and you prioritize it depending on how many years you'd been to that meeting. And you try and get in the right spaces and you pay a fee to be able to get that. And then when you go there to set up, you can't set your own stuff up. You got to hire people to set stuff up that you made to be able to set up and you're standing there telling them how to do it. It was like, I'm sorry, but it was like a whole crock in many ways. And yet we did business there and it was helped in many ways, but in some of the system of it and what was going on today was just like that. You had to get a franchise spot for a booth. And on top of that, many of the people who were there that had booze had to end up paying uh, what ended up being to honest, had to pay up a certain percentage of your profits. Uh, On top of that, uh, the foreign currency, when people were coming in, not only just with Jewish currency, but foreign currency, they charged a 25% currency fee. Uh, Then on top of that, the Levitical law, Excuse me. <laughs> the Old Testament said any animal approved by the, by the priest could be used for a sacrifice. So any animal that you brought, and if the priest said it was okay, the Bible said, yeah, go ahead and use that. But what was happening is it got to the point in time to where it was like, no, 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 you can't do that anymore. You have to buy our animals. And they would charge 10 times the cost of an animal. Oh, and by the way, do you notice in the text that talks about that pigeon or that dove? That was the smallest, least costly animal. So what's going on? This isn't affecting just the wealthy. Even the poor were being abused at the temple. It's so sad. 
This was a den of robbers. They were ripping people off. Listen, of anywhere, where should a, a, a den of robbers not happen? It should not be happening there, but it was. This should be a place where people are brought in. Please come in. And if you can't even afford it, we'll make it happen for you rather than rip you off. I'm keeping these images at this position kind of out and up away from it, if you will. So it's kind of like we can see this whole scenario maybe a little bit like the Lord would. The whole thing. There's this temple where this should be the place where his glory is the greatest and the grandness. This is a place where people come from all over to come and corporately together to lift high the name of the Lord. And this is a place where people are being abused and ripped off. It's a leaves-only place. All the spiritual stuff is there. There's no real fruit. Everyone was living a charade. And Jesus knew it. And he dressed it. And he dealt with it. And by the way, may I say, quite severely so. You can't punk Jesus. David Platt says of this passage, the Gentiles were denied the opportunity to come close to God by being restricted to the outer court. The poor were exploited by money changers and merchants. The temple culture had grown big and impressive, but it was all a sham. And so Jesus cursed them for it. There was no gospel, he goes on to say, no God to be found by those needing or seeking salvation. Once a beacon of light, it was now only a faint flicker that was about to be extinguished. They had become a leaves-only fig people. And Jesus hates that. Let's finish verses 20 to 25. And they passed by in the morning. And remember, they went out of the city, verse 19. So what day is it now in verse 20? It's Wednesday. And they passed in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Hey, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Come back to that statement in just a second. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. By the way, there's so much there. I just don't have the time, especially with the family chat earlier, to do that. So here's what I want to do. I want to go to where what I think is the cornerstone statement in this paragraph here. And it's the first statement of have faith in God. Have faith in God. Why, why, why say that right here? Well, let's, let's take a look at, at one, the fig tree, verse 20. It dried up. It withered away. It withered away at its roots. And it's kind of sad. Poor little tree. It's like all sad and all withered away. Hey, don't be sad for the tree. The tree is a representation of a people. 
withered up. They're done. It's dead. All the way to the root. It didn't have an external problem. It had a root problem. It didn't have an external problem. It had a root problem. How does it produce fruit? Fruit comes out of the root. And the root withered up. And Jesus has these various things to say, by the way, some of which we end up taking and making so about us. Like it's like, oh man, faith, if it's really big, you can move mountains. And it's like, I want to move mountains. Or if it's like, ask whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Oh yeah, God's my Santa Claus. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, You're going to have to study. I just don't have the time with it. I want to stay with the statement at the beginning of the context of it, of have faith in God. Be constantly trusting in the Lord. Be in constant communion with the Lord. Be in a living attitude of dependence upon the Lord. Have faith in God. Why, why, why say that in this situation when Peter's like, look at the tree died. Have faith in God. Faith why? Faith what? Understand the context of what's going on. And I think what's happening in this is that the, the tree is representing a people and, and, and the whole established, God designed established people, the institution was totally failing. And it's like, hey, hey, in that context, it's understandable to see the hypocrisy and then to associate people's hypocrisy with who God is. Like if you see the mass of hypocrisy going on there, that God must be useless. That God must not be faithful because look at the people. It's a mess. Listen, it's not a people problem, if you will. Uh, it's the folk, it, it's it, people carried over to it's a God problem, but that's not true. It's a people problem. God can be trusted. Okay, the Lord is faithful, even if leaves only people are acting like hypocrites. And so often today I hear this and I see this with people. I'm so over the local church. There's so many hypocrites. Well, can I say, duh? I mean, we're sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect. We're walking together, worshiping together, working together. But but the reality is this is the kind of place where sinful people come to grow and change and be transformed. That's not hypocrisy. But I understand the statement. There is a lot of hypocrisy today. But know this, the problem isn't the Lord. The Lord can be trusted. And I think in this kind of the idea coming out, I think this whole section flows together in the reality of it where the Lord is saying, listen, even in the massive mountain-like hypocrisy that you see, have faith in God. Because he's bigger than it. Don't let the hypocrisy convince you that God is not trustworthy run to the lord when we see the hypocrisy he can move mountains call on him to do so he can change a whole place like that for his glory call for that have faith in god friends the lord is not blind and he cannot be punked He knows what's going on on the whole, and he knows what's going on within you. 
My question is, what is your condition before him? Seriously. Are you leaves only? Leaves only, no fruit? Oftentimes people get quite flustered with that. Sometimes people get irritated with pressing in on that. Like, how dare you question that? Listen, friends. The Lord will be the one that you and I stand before. And this is a call of love. Don't punk yourself. Really, where are you at? You see, in our lives, the fruit should prove the reality of our relationship. So I ask, where's the fruit? What's the condition of you as a fig tree? These people were claiming that they were God's people, that they were God's children, but the reality was it was all a charade. John 15. If anyone does not abide in me, and by the way, that's talking about this consistent, moving, abiding, not just like one time I mess up and I'm out. It's in a consistent manner. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. But this, my Father, is by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Friends, do you see? The fruit validates what's happened in the root. And if there is no fruit, the problem is a root problem, actually not even a fruit problem. And people try and go and do nice deeds and scotch tape it up as a fruit of the Lord's. And and yet the, the, the roots are just like what happened on the triumphal entry. And they're just crying out for a save me for me thing. And I just say today, If Jesus were to come over and take a look beyond the leaves of you, what would he see? Would there be fruit? But if there's been no transformation, if there is not fruit of salvation, in love I say, you need to be very concerned. Because the Lord cannot be pumped. Charles Spurgeon said, The great majority of persons who have any sort of religion at all bears leaves, but they produce no fruit. You were given a three by five card coming in. I'd like for you to grab that. I'd like for you to grab that, and I'd like for you to write on this uh, three words. My charade is, my charade is, and I want for you to do this now.
You see, leaving something like this is time to turn something over. Because there's uh, two things that charade games that can go on. One is it goes on to where it's a charade game to where uh, we, we think we're in right relationship with the Lord when we're really in no relationship with the Lord. And I just put out, might that be your charade game going on before the Lord? That the reality might be that you have never come to the place in your life where you've come to that place and you've made a declaration, not Jesus for me, for me, but Jesus for me to transform me. I'm a sinner and, and I need transforming. And, and I am not to be about me. I am to be about the Lord. And even if some, you look back and well, there's a time when I prayed a prayer, but where's the fruit of that? I just want to say this. If you look and there's no fruit in your life, you need to make sure you know Christ as your Savior. And I'm just going to ask you to write on that card, my charade is, I don't think I'm living with Christ. And if that's the case, it's time to make a decision to stop the charade. to get after Christ. It's time. Uh, for others, you know Christ, you're walking Christ, none of us are perfect. I just ask you, what, what charade game might you be playing right now? Might it be to where, frankly, I look like an okay person, but I'm really an angry man, I'm an angry woman. Life is all about me, or maybe it's pride, or bitterness, or language. Or maybe I'm just a critical person or I'm a lazy man. The more I'm a fake. The more I'm one thing here and I'm something different at home. Or my charade is that I play holiness, but really I'm totally involved in porn. I'm cheating at school. I'm cheating at work. Friends, it's time to turn something over. It's the start of the year. You can see a number of cards up here. Cards that people from the first service took and wrote down. God, I'm going to get after this. I'm going to get after this month. I'm going to, I'm going to drive something and I'm going to make a statement with you and I'm going to follow that up with 10,000 choices this month. And it's just they're going to write it, they're going to crumple it, and in our closing song, people just came up and they're just throwing it. I'm just going to throw it with all the other turned over tables that Christ did. And I'm going to get after this thing. What's the charade that needs to be turned over? What is it? Lord, thank you for the time together today. Lord, we've just been in some very heavy passages very direct heart passages. And God, I just call out for the Spirit of God to do a work here. Lord, one, I pray if there's anyone in this room who does not know you as Savior, maybe they have been uh, thinking and claiming and holding on to some moment in their life, but they realize there's been no fruit and the truth of the matter is it's been a charade. God, I pray right now they would be confessing and repenting and receiving you as your Savior and they would be making a life-transforming decision that starts today and is following followed by days and weeks and months and decades of time. 
being transformed for your glory. God, if there's anyone in this room today, may that take place. Lord, for others who are walking with you, and yet we all have areas we need to uh, uncharade the charade. I just pray as an act of our obedience to get after that this would just not be in show, but it would be real. And yet you went to the cross, paid the price. Do a work among us, Lord. Do a work.